Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, look no further than the Ratsaw Review Network. Ratsaw Review is taking over the podcast world with plenty of shows to choose from within their network of entertaining programming, including the flagship show, Ratsaw Review, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and Lou Mavs, as well as occasional co-hosts Manny Mejias and James Lilquist. We also have the official Ratsaw Review spin-offs, such as Album vs. Album, Screams from the Grave, where we discuss beloved yet forgotten hard rock and metal albums of the past, and a King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. We've also got Old Man Metal's Musings, the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast with Metal Thrashing Mike, the Timo Toki Podcast featuring Stradivarius and Avalon founding member Timo Toki, the BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, a podcast dedicated to cheesy films of the 1980s with Tara J and Adam, and the Music is Live Podcast with Lou Mavs. The Rapsaw Review Network is your go-to one-stop shop for the best podcasts out there today. Go to RatsawReview.com for more info. And to find out where you can find, follow, subscribe, and comment on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all streaming platforms. The Ratsaw Review Network. We're taking over. Welcome to Ratsa Review. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I am interviewing one of the, as far as I'm concerned, if it wasn't for this gentleman, there would be no American thrash metal scene. I don't know about that. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I'll take that to the bank. I am so proud to have on the show, celebrating 42 years of lightning to the nations from Diamond Head, Mr. Brian Tatler. Sir, good evening to you. How are you? <laughs> thank you very much, Lou. I'm well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. So I know we only have you for a half hour of your time. Again, we're grateful for the time that we do have. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you the questions. By the way, you look great. Great to oh, see you. Oh, do I? I don't think so, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so 42 years of lightning to the nations. Congratulations are first and foremost in order. Um, how does it hit you looking back on such a landmark album that has influenced countless bands over the course of five decades? Um, well, it, it's it's great, of course. It's great to, to have the album out again and, uh, you know, a nice remastered version with a nice cover and uh, Silver Lining have done a fabulous job of the packaging. But um, you know, when you make the record, you have no idea what if it's going to be liked or accepted or if it's going to have any longevity at all you're just making the best record you possibly can i always think we were competing with the greatest bands of all time in the 70s and uh, so we were aiming very high to to try and enter the realm of of the led zeppelins and the black sabbaths and the deep purples and uh, we just wanted to you know, four young lads from from Starbridge in England trying to trying to make our way into the the world of of rock and and metal. Uh, and here we are, still talking about it forty two years later. <laughs> and we're all better off for it. Yeah. As a guitar player to another guitar player, I have to admit your tone has been consistent and consistently good. 
your usage of Gibsons and Marshalls have defined your sound. And I think you've also added Engel amps to your arsenal as well. Um, not Gibson, anymore. I did, not anymore. I, okay. I did use Engel for a while. And then I went, uh, I've been using Cornford um, for a while. And I've bought a Kemper recently. So I'm, I've done one gig with it. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to do some more. So I'm sort of moving over to the to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> digital. But uh, Cornford, the Cornford were good as well. I can always go back to the Cornford. I've, I've kept everything um, if you don't work out with me and the Kemper. But you still use the Gibsons, though, that we could agree of on. Of course. Oh, OK. Of course. I couldn't I couldn't work without it either a Les Paul or a Flying B, really. That Excellent. is fine. I've never been a Fender man. I was not a Fender man until I started getting back pains playing Gibsons on stage for three <laughs> hours twice a week. Well, so, do a short set. <laughs> I, I I was in a cover band for many years, so I uh, three hours and you better play Mustang Sally. So no, <laughs> I was done with that. So I I mod my Fender Strats actually. I put humbucker pickups on them and Floyd Rose bridges, so I'm happy with them. Yeah. But you can I, never go wrong with a Gibson, absolutely. I, totally. I, when I the first Fender Strat I bought, I butchered it and put a Dimarzio Super Distortion pickup in it. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and then it got stolen, so I never saw it again. But but really, once I bought the the V in '79 and then a Les Paul uh, in the '80s, that was I found my my sound really more. That the, the Gibson and the humbuckers and stuff that's more me definitely well I, like i said i love the fact that the sound has been consistent and consistently good okay. um what i love about the current lineup of diamond head um again consistency for the past six years um as a, a live band and in the recording studio with carl wilcox on drums rasmus bon anderson on vocals and mm-hmm. uh, andy abby aberley on guitar as well um there's one thing I want to confirm. I heard a rumor on an anonymous website, <clears throat> Wikipedia, that uh, <laughs> su- supposedly Paul Gaskin of Gaskin is the bassist. It's not I Gaskin. want you to confirm here um, and now that that is a dirty lie, please. If it's no, he's not in Gaskin. He's not of the band Gaskin. It's he's it's name's Paul Gaskin, and he lives not far from me. And he's only just joined the band. He's only done. Um, four gigs with us but he's he'll be coming on this saxon tour we're about to do um but he's nothing to do with gaskin the band he's he's a local guy who plays in he's played in some other bands but nothing you do okay thank you for confirming that so it's paul gaskin but not paul gaskin of gaskin it's not paul gaskin from gaskin (laughs) now okay so gaskin fans leave me alone now you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, he's not never been in a famous band, uh, but he's now in Diamond Head, so I suppose you could class that. But he's very excited to be in Diamond Head. He's it's it's been uh, something he'd been looking forward to for a long time because we auditioned him uh, a, a few years ago, but he didn't pass the audition, uh, and uh, we I tried him again because I thought he had some merit, and uh, he was he was better this time. I think he'd done his homework and he he. Um, he got the gig. <laughs> Excellent. That's great. One of our co-hosts, Greg Noggle, is a huge Diamond Head fan. And Lighting to the Nations is actually his favorite album of all time. Um, he called it Pure Lightning in a Bottle. 
that truly captures the spirit and sound of heavy rock, heavy music in general. Fantastic. Um, he knows that at the time of the MCA deal, um, I don't know if you're allowed to discuss this. If not, uh, we'll we'll drop it. But uh, Borrowed Time was planned to be the big debut. Yeah. And the original Lightning LP was, so to speak, a demo album. Yes. Uh, was there ever a plan to re-release the original afterwards before Metal Blade did in 1987? Um, also, the sound changes slightly between the early recordings and Borrowed Time. Was this a natural progression for Diamond Head or was it imposed by MCA? No, it wasn't imposed by MCA. Um, we did that album quite quickly. We did it in a week. And I think it was always sort of intended to uh, either get a deal with it or get uh, or release it, you know, ourselves or something like that. So the manager soon pressed up like a thousand copies and we sold them at gigs. So we made a little bit of cash to keep the band afloat, uh, but we couldn't get a record deal with it. And that was really frustrating for us. So we started carried on writing. And then by the time we, we signed and recorded with MCA, like two years later, um, I think our sound and style had changed a little bit. And uh, I, I think we were constantly experimenting and looking for something successful because, as you know, without money, a band will fall apart. You know, you can't possibly hire equipment and go to, a, you know, Europe without funds coming in. So, um, you know, we... we, we kept trying to write almost a hit record or some something that would start selling you know you hear stories about you know black sabbaths you know paranoid went in the charts at number two or whatever and and so you you think okay if we can make a great album we can uh it'll fly up the charts and all that and we'll all be uh happy till the day <laughs> and uh it didn't quite work out like that for Diamond Ed, but um, no, it wasn't really MCA. I think MCA would have liked us to have a hit single because we wrote Call Me sort of after they said, you know, we need the, a single. The first thing we're going to release is a, is a single or an EP, which was called the Call Me Four Cuts EP in uh, possibly May 82. So we recorded that first, then we recorded Borrowed Time. But um yeah, you know, we didn't have a hit single either, so it, it was uh, it was just constantly looking for something that was going to sell. Well, it would have been great for Diamond Head to have had a hit single, but you know, in hindsight's always the thing that you know people look to, and although that hit single may not have manifested on the bright side. Mm-hmm. a long career did instead so yeah, i think still, a longer yeah. career speaks more than just a hit single i, I agree i agree but uh you know the band fell apart twice yes and, uh, it's only because of you know my what's the word i just want to keep it going because i'm i love the band i love the songs i want to keep playing the guitar i love playing the guitar uh that the band's still going and and it just rolls forward year in year out. Um, so you know, members have come and gone along the way, but uh, you know, I still love it. So so yeah, there's been a long career, but there probably always would have been because I 
that's once upon a time I probably decided that's what I want to do with my with my life. You know, I after after becoming a car mechanic when I left school, I decided I don't really like being a car mechanic. You know, I want to be a guitarist. I want to be in a band, and so. I just did everything I could to to make that happen, and it, it's not been easy, <laughs> uh, as you can imagine. <laughs> oh yes, I know. Uh, and uh, being the uh, son of a late auto mechanic, I have respect for auto mechanics <laughs> and guitar players. So all good. Right, right, right. Not an easy. Not an easy <laughs> um, one thing about the current lineup that I definitely want to uh, put over: uh, Rasmus has definitely done a great job of owning the entire discography as vocalist and yeah. Carl Wilcox has become such a great public representative for Diamond Head yeah. as I've seen him in many interviews and documentaries. Um, one thing that many people misunderstand about bands aside from the music itself is that for full-time bands, their business entities where friendships are secondary with, you know, many bands in the past being examples of that. Um, in the case of Diamond Head, though, there seems to be a great deal of trust with the current <laughs> lineup where there is mutual respect and camaraderie, especially on stage. Uh, yes. What would you say is the overall formula for success that you've had with this current lineup? Um, I think you're right about mutual respect. Uh, I think we all are hungry for it. We all are prepared to, you know, sit in the van for 10 hours a day and, and uh, you know, it's not it's not an easy ride um and we've been doing it a long time uh, you know i've been playing uh since 90 i don't know 76 75 so a long time um i don't know what the formula is other than you've got to get the right people in the band and and it helps if everybody pulls their weight if everybody does some bring something to the table uh uh, and that seems to work well. It's not like it's all on one person's shoulders. If I had to do everything, I I, I couldn't do everything. You know, I, I'm not that kind of person. I'm better off doing what I do best. And then I leave a lot of stuff up to Carl. He doesn't, you know, he, he acts as tour manager and, uh, you know, works out a lot of the bookings and uh, the logistics of how are we going to get to this festival and, and things like that. And then, and then Raz has taken over the role of, of the producer. And uh, so he's heavily involved in, in any music production or with this, he remastered the album. He, he, he produced, mixed and mastered the last album, The Coffin Train and The Lightness of the Nations. So he, you know, he's very good like that. He's got good ears and uh, he's a talented boy, is, is Raz. Uh, so he takes on a lot of that that, that I just couldn't, you know, couldn't do. Um, so we work as a as a really good team. It definitely shows. Uh, Greg also wanted me to mention that the current lineup is easily, in his opinion, the best or most in tune with each other since the original group. Um, he may be in the minority, he states, but he genuinely enjoyed Canterbury and the more progressive leaps in your playing on that album with such a strong lineup, is there any chance of maybe exploring these different areas in a more heavy context for uh, future Diamond Head albums? Mm, I don't know. I think we're always 
you know, looking to move forward. We've got our eye on the past. We realize that the strengths of Diamond Head, and I do not want to leave that behind because Diamond Head, you know, we're lucky enough to have a style and a sound. And my playing is a certain way of playing, you know, it's in the fingers, as they say. So we tried to, to bring the best from what was great about Diamond Head in the early days and bring it forward into now. Uh, so, of course, production changes and, and, you know, amplifiers change, equipment changes. Uh, so it's a more modern sound, but uh, hopefully it's still in the writing. It, it still sounds like Diamond Head, really. Uh, and I think a few times we've gone too far. Uh, we've, we've experimented to the point where you've probably got to turn around and come back a little bit because you're just going down a blind alley. And uh, it can be fun to try but uh, I think you can lose your core fan base if you if you stretch too far. Understood. Um, by the way, I I believe every band should experiment if that's where they feel that they should go. So you know, there may yeah. have been albums of bands where I was like, eh, I'm not too keen on this, but I love the band anyway. So let me see where their next album goes. So yeah. I think that probably speaks for most fans of music. I- I think if you're successful, it, it probably helps keep the band fresh. Like, for example, Rush, they kept experimenting, didn't they? Uh, but if, you, if you're not selling, you know, millions of records, you run the risk of losing the, the, the fans that you've got. Uh, so it's a dangerous game, really, which is why a lot of bands play pretty safe and, and just stick to what they know and what they know will sell. Uh, so I think we experimented more in the, you know, Canterbury period than than we would now. All right. Well, for the actual 40th anniversary of Lightning, you did something special where you not just re-recorded the original album, you included four great covers, uh, Metallica, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. The band did a great job making them sound like Diamond Head songs. Uh, your solo <laughs> and Immigrant song, I was like, jaw to the floor was so impressed with it uh what was the impetus for you to decide on these four particular covers for the re-recording it was obvious we should do a metallica song uh and i wanted to do one off the first album uh, because they only covered diamonded songs on our off our first album right into the nation so i thought i want to do one off uh kill them all and uh, i thought no remorse had a bit of diamond head to it a bit of uh, Diamond Head DNA in it a little bit. I mean, I think Seek and Destroy does as well, but it's so famous and they play that every night. And I, I didn't want to do it. It was t- slightly too obvious, so I thought no remorse. And once we started rehearsing, it sounded great. So that became the one. Then Sinner is a song that I've always admired. I've been listening to that song ever since it came out. And I've always fancied writing something a bit like Sinner, and I've probably stolen a few arrangement ideas from it over the years. Uh, so that felt very natural to do that one. Um, the same with um, uh, Immigrant Song. I've, I've aspired to write a song as great as the Immigrant Song, but the F-sharp, that's yeah. a thing. I've, I've probably tried to rewrite immigrant songs several times and and once you've got a singer in the band like Rasmus who can actually handle a song by Robert Plant or 
Yeah. He has you an know, incredible high Bob range. Halford. I mean, there's some incredible vocalists, but uh, he didn't bat an eye. He didn't shy away from the ideas. He didn't say, oh, no, that's not in my range or something like that. No, he was game for the uh, for the uh, opportunity and uh, he, he didn't worry him at all. Uh, and the same with Rap Bat Blue. Uh, again, it's just a song I really liked. I didn't want to do so something too obvious. Uh, I do you want to do Highway Star or, or you know, something uh, like I'm glad it wasn't Garbage Smoke on the Water because I'm sick of that song. <laughs> I, and I like that album. Man. No, I love it's Machine Head, video. but I mean, yeah. f- fan to fan, my favorite Deep Purple album was Burn. So. Yeah, look, Burn as well. I think my favorite is Machine Head. I know every song backwards, but... I didn't want to do anything off machine at all. I wanted to give some love to a a, a bit more of a, a deeper cut. And I always thought that was a great riff. Blackmore. I know, agree. I Blackmore. So Bla- Blackmore is really the only reason why I could ever s- justify playing strats. So <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we um, wanted to do a Black Sabbath song, but we couldn't quite get the sound. It didn't quite work. And we didn't have a lot of time to keep trying. We tried a couple and then we, we moved on. We thought we'd do it another time. <laughs> Understood. Um, what I love about your playing as a guitarist is that it it strikes an emotional, it strikes an emotion that adds to the song, and it doesn't okay. overkill the listener with technical ability to the point where they're overwhelmed and they can't listen to the song. Uh, one thing I don't know if you've ever been asked, Brian, after being an influence for so many guitarists out there. And I know we mentioned Black Sabbath before, and you mentioned uh, Judas Priest and and Deep Purple. But who were single-handedly the guitarists or bands that you would say directly influenced you to be the songwriter and guitarist that you uh, become? First of all, it would, be, it would have been Deep Purple with Blackmore because I was I'm, I'm a big Blackmore fan. Uh, I wanted to play Highway Star, you know, and and it's one of the main reasons I started practicing more because I just thought if if I'm going to be able to play like that, I'm going to have to get serious. I'm going to have to do the, the homework, do the legwork. Uh, songs like probably Black Sabbath and probably Zeppelin. Um, and then other bands crept in, you know, as the 70s moved on, we we had ACDC and then Van Halen and um, uh, UFO, uh, Montrose. There's so many awesome bands in the 70s, uh, which I think is why Diamond had tried so hard to be to be a great band, uh, because we felt the competition was incredible, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I think that's what me as a fan, what I loved about Lighting to the Nations is that I could put it up there with UFO's best work with Schenker, or I could put it up there with um, the classic 70s British hard rock and metal, which in all honesty is my favorite era of music. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think that's just why it resonated with me so much. Yes. Um, speaking of uh, lightning first timers, my first time that I discovered it when it became available uh, for me to purchase in the States was when uh, Metal Blade re-released it along with the uh, Diamond Lights EP together as as uh, Diamond Knights. This was back yes. in 2000. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, since Lightning has been re-released so many times, uh, which would you say was your favorite artwork for repackaging? I like the new one. I like this one. 
Official I like that too. That's a good. That's a good. Yeah, touch. It's, uh, good it's touch. The best for me. I mean, I've got all those other versions of, uh, you know, like, like you said, the Metal Blade version. There's there's, there's all kinds of, of of labels have put it out. Uh, Sanctuary put it out, and uh, uh, there's a few others. Uh, but very often, I wouldn't be involved in the artwork. It would just somebody just do it, and then I'd get sent a copy and think, oh. Okay, yeah. and, uh, and that'd be it. That'd be the first time I'd see it. If, if, even that, I've even bought copies of, of, of Diamond Dead albums from like record fairs where I'd just find it in the rack and I'd think, oh, what's that? You know, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and it'd be like 10 euros or I'd just buy it to keep in my collection of, of records. But with this one, uh, I was heavily involved and, um, uh, you know, I think... The artwork's great, and I think they've done a fabulous job with the packaging. So I'm it really, sick. I'm really pleased with this one. Was the white cover always the original idea, or no? No, we had a cover idea, but um, I think at the time it was just like let's just press a thousand copies in a plain white sleeve. Uh, this wasn't even my idea. Well, it wasn't Sean's idea. It wasn't my idea. It was the manager's idea, Reg. I think it just for, for cheapness and to save a lot of, of artwork costs and but ideas getting, you know, oh, I don't like that cover and I don't like this. It, it was just right. We'll just do a thousand white label copies and sell them at gigs. I mean, he took some to record labels and all that, but... Um, we just sold we sold all 1,000 copies. We did an advert in Sounds, which is a music paper at the time. And uh, we, we sold them through Sounds, sold all, all the copies. Then we pre pressed up another 1,000 copies, but this time it had a, the information on the, the label with the, printed on, like the song titles and that. But it did, still didn't have any artwork. Uh, and so it, it's desperately been crying out for for good artwork, I I feel over the years. <laughs> no, all right. Well, uh, just a couple more questions because I know you got to jump on another call. So, um, am I evil? The song uh -huh. itself, as I mentioned before, it launched a revolution in the United States when a certain band from San Francisco covered it and influenced a generation of musicians with it. I hope that band Metallica finds great success after 40 years. I'm just kidding, but <laughs> I'm just being cheeky there. But in all honesty, when you think about the impact that that one song from this album made, how does it make you feel? Well, I'm very proud. Obviously, it's helped keep me going uh, financially, but also I think it's given Diamond Head a lot of credibility. Uh, it's it's given us our big song, um, and I think every band needs their their song uh, you know there's a lot of times if you mention diamond Ed, they'll say oh am i evil and that's it that's all they know uh so that i always think that is our song um I'm, I'm eternally grateful to metallica and and any other bands who've who've you know been influenced by us but um it, it's it's all worked out nicely in 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 a roundabout way as in, in the long run yeah I have to admit, as much as I love The Prince, I love Helpless, and I love uh, Am I Evil, my favorite uh, Diamond Head song from, from that era, from the Lighting to the Nations and the uh, uh, Diamond Diamond Knights EP, is uh -huh. the song itself, Diamond Knights. I actually, when I first heard <laughs> that, I loved it because it was so 
melodic and catchy and and it hit you yeah. and you know it struck an emotional chord for me right um, i hope if you that. ever i yeah. hope if you, you ever don't play uh, it very often um but uh, it's nice to hear that that you appreciate that one because it gets left behind a little bit that we don't play it live and uh but uh, yeah, great vocal i was thought sean's vocal was great on that ep with uh we won't be back and uh i don't got yeah, I mean, I, again, I think it speaks to the UFO fan in me as well. Like I, you know, mm. like I said, I, I hold it up to that standard. So, yeah. you know, good on you Thank for you. that. Um, which Diamond Head record would you say holds up with uh, Lightning in terms of quality that you think music fans that have not been converted, not that we're preaching to the choir, but aren't aware of it, uh, would appreciate as much as Lightning? Which of the... Uh, diamond head discography i don't know i mean i i like the coffin train i think that's definitely worth listening to if, if you haven't listened to that one but there's something sort of about lightning it's a bit of a it's become a kind of classic and it's become a very influential album so it's got it's always going to be hard to top that uh if you know if you if you um come to diamond head fresh for the first time uh but yeah, the coffin train I would say would be my number two. I, I still occasionally listen to Death and Progress, uh, but yeah, I would it. have to say the 2016 album, the self-titled. Yeah. I yeah. hold that up with Lightning. I You've love got that. Some record. great songs on it. Yes, I yes. do agree. I'm not mad on the production, but uh, song-wise, there's a lot of good stuff on that. Yeah. Okay, and final question. If people want to know more about Diamond Head, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, the, the, the website, diamondheadofficial.com, and then, of course, Facebook and Instagram and all that, Twitter. It's, it's, it's there in the social media world. We're not, I don't think we've done TikTok yet. I hear about TikTok, but I know nothing about it. Stay far <laughs> but, away uh, from it. <laughs> Somebody's bound to suggest that at some point. <laughs> uh, it's taxing, but regardless, yeah. Mr. Brian Tatler, Diamond Head, Lighting to the Nation's 42nd anniversary reissue available soon. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you. Welcome. I I've enjoyed talking. Thank you for having me. Same here. RodStyleReview.com, DiamondHeadOfficial.com. Cheers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh.